This week's episode is brought to you by italki. Italki is an effective, fast, and affordable way to reach fluency in English by taking one-on-one -on -one lessons online with human teachers. You can get a special offer of 10 US dollars in italki credits with your first purchase by visiting go.italki.com/englishin10minutes. Happy listening. Welcome to English in 10 Minutes, real, unscripted English conversations about people, places, and their stories. After you listen to the episode, visit EnglishIn10Minutes.com. Today I'm speaking to my friend Jane about her home country, which is Zimbabwe. Um, but of course, when you were there, it wasn't called that, was it? No, when I, was, when I lived there, it was called Rhodesia. And so you were born and you grew up uh, living in, in Rhodesia. Yeah. And so it's in Southern Africa. Um, yes. And so it's, has a, it does have a similar kind of uh, colonial history to South Africa and Botswana and the other countries nearby? Yeah, a little bit. It was um, colonized a bit later than South Africa by Cecil John Rhodes. That's where the name comes from, Rhodesia. Of course, it was a like most of the colonies, it was governed by Britain through a sort of local government. <clears throat> and in the mid-60s, the British government said it was about time that Rhodesia should have majority rule, which meant would have meant having black politicians, black government. And the white people didn't want that, so they declared independence against Britain, or from Britain. Which, I, as far as I know, is the only place that ever did that. Yeah, it's, that form. it's really extraordinary. I mean, you were just yeah. telling me this before, but that... Um, that usually, of course, it's the, it's the local people, or the, the majority, who has to, who has to uh, rise up against the colonial power. In this case, the colonial power, Britain, was was willing to give up the power, yeah. but it was the local whites um, yeah. who didn't want to. Yes. And so they'd been there, I guess, for a few generations and, and were pretty comfortable with, uh, yes. with white rule. Yes. And, so, and so what happened then? The uh, British decided to pull out or the whites rebelled against the, against the British? Um, yes, I'm not quite sure why Britain went along with it. I mean, there were a lot of talks. Um, I was too young at the time to really follow the ins and outs of the political situation. Um, but basically, the white religions, you could say, won, won their case. Um, it wasn't accepted. <clears throat> In the world, there were sanctions against the Rhodesian government, um, almost from all over. But in fact it ended up being a very good thing for the, in a sense, for the for the economy because it was forced to be more independent. And so was this a kind of a kind of apartheid like South Africa? Yes, it was um, a little bit like that. But where things were the law in South Africa, they were more like a socially acceptable or not acceptable thing in, in Rhodesia. In South Africa, for example, there were three 
classes, racial classes, there were whites and blacks, and in the middle there was something called coloreds and Asians. And for business purposes, the Japanese were classed as whites so that they could stay in the white hotels and do business. But every other Asian person was in this sort of second category. And in Rhodesia, it wasn't quite that organised. It was also not illegal to have sex or marriage with somebody of a different race, as it was in South Africa. But it was very socially looked down upon, of course. Um... Yeah, there was, I, I grew up going to a music camp every year, which was multiracial, and we slept in the same dormitories as people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, <clears throat> there were quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of Indian people at the time. I had Indian friends as well as black friends, partly through my music and partly through my parents, so, yeah, I didn't really fit into the, to the white supremacist pattern. <laughs> and so was your regular school segregated? My school was, yeah, okay. was because the only non-segregated schools were private, and we couldn't afford a private school. But I taught at a, at a private school later. And so that's interesting that something like music, which I know has been a, a love of your life, uh, was one of the things that, that helped you then uh, integrate... Yeah, yeah, with yeah, with the other people, and so so it wasn't a strict segregation then, but it was still yes always in the background, I guess. Yes, it followed very much followed the pattern of South Africa without it being quite as extreme. And I have to admit, there were kids at my school who wouldn't speak to me because they found it so shocking that I had black friends who'd actually come to my house and eaten with us. You know, I mean, people, you could have black people in your house because most people had black servants. But to sit down at a table with somebody of a different race was so shocking. And so maybe that, maybe there was a kind of a lack of unity then within the, within the ruling whites, that there were some people like you who were willing to mix with, with the blacks and then other people who weren't. Maybe that was a well, factor. Well, that was certainly well. the case in South Africa as well, but they got... I, put into prison or were deported basically so Until but even my brother you know yeah. my brother who's a bit older than me he taught at a multiracial school and he was actually being followed by the police he was being sort of observed for this kind of behavior and he ended up getting so fed up with it he just left and he never went back, hmm. not even for a visit. And so you were saying that around this time a lot of people started to leave or once the, once the true independence and majority rule came, then a lot of the whites just left? Well, a lot of white people left before that because they were fed up with the white supremacist government and they saw no... It wasn't very clear what the solution was going to be. I mean, there were 25 blacks to one white in the country when I left in 1976. And I saw no peaceful way forward, I have to admit. I thought, I left because I wanted to study music, but 
I might have left anyway because I thought there was going to be a bloody revolution and I would have had no way of blaming the people for reacting that way but I didn't want to sort of stay and get killed for something I didn't believe in. No, that was sort of my, my standpoint at the time. And then later in the 70s, There was, there had actually been a war, a civil war, or a war of independence, which stayed mainly on the borders of the country. But, um, yeah, people started actually speaking. The white government started speaking to the African leaders and, you know, discussing things with Britain. And it became clear that fairly peaceful solution was going to come and in 1980 it happened it was started off very well and so then you have that's what 14 years before before the same thing happened in south africa so mm, it was yeah. quite advanced uh, in that yeah. way yeah and so you said you went back recently for the first time in in all yes. that time yes and so that must have been really emotional for you yes it was it was very exciting and Very interesting, and I'd love to spend more time there. I dream about going back to live there, but I'm not sure that that will ever happen. Well, you never know, so maybe one day. Yes. But anyway, thank you very much for talking to us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to English in 10 Minutes. To download a worksheet for this episode, including the most useful vocabulary and a full transcript of the conversation, visit EnglishIn10Minutes.com.